Hello and welcome to Couch Talk. In this episode, we have Jamie Harrison. He's the president of the United States Youth Cricket Association. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hi, thanks for having me. Let us know a bit about your background in cricket and how you came to be the president of uh, United States Youth Cricket. Well, Subhash, uh, my background in cricket doesn't go that far back. Uh, for five years, I taught history at a Baltimore City parochial school. And uh, I was a history teacher that used to take kids around on field trips to various sites in the area and was introduced to cricket on one of those trips. And the kids of my school fell in love with it. And they sort of dragged me along and uh, brought cricket back to the school. And a cricket club became an intramural cricket league, became a hardball cricket team. And within a year, we had probably 20 or 25 kids who had gone from knowing nothing about cricket to playing competitively against uh, experienced uh, cricketers from the Washington, D.C. area. Mm -hmm. And as they learned the game, I learned the game, and we all fell in love with cricket together. And one thing I kind of saw through that experience, it was sort of like a laboratory for me. Uh, you know, I had been told by a lot of people that, you know, American kids won't play cricket. You know, <laughs> you have to be brought up with a game. And I watched kids who knew nothing about cricket, had no idea how to play the game, go from zero to, you know, full-scale cricket fanatics in a very short period of time. And what it taught me was a couple of things. One was that American kids will play cricket and they will love cricket. But it also demonstrated to me the proper way that they need to be introduced to the game. Uh, you can't, for example, take a kid who doesn't know anything about cricket and think you're going to coach him up for an hour about mm -hmm. the proper stance and the prop proper grip. You have to let them have fun with the game first. The way we first played the game was underhand toss with a rubber ball. And that was where we fell in love with cricket, running back and forth between the wickets, falling down in the mud and laughing and having a great time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that even the most experienced cricketers out there, you might be listening to this, the first time as a child they ever played cricket, it wasn't having an adult tell them how to grip the bat. It was playing a pickup game, you know, in the neighborhood with friends, maybe with uh, some uh, rudimentary uh, equipment, you know, and just having a good time with the game. And I think if you bring American kids along properly and not try to force them too quickly but let them develop a love for the game first, I think all American kids, you know, will fall, will fall in love with cricket. And as through my experiences with USYCA, I have seen that proven over and over and over again to thousands of children. Um, so from there, um, you know, how long has uh, USYCA has been around and uh, your origins of inter introduction to cricket by watching uh, the game from there to becoming the president of uh, USYCA? How did that transformation come about? Well, after uh, that first year when we played against experienced teams, what happened was the Archdiocese of Baltimore closed the school I was teaching at, and I lost my connection with cricket because there was no longer a cricket team to be involved with. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had fallen in love with the game. So I sort of like hung around online and tried to follow things, but I really didn't know what to do with myself. But I was, I was kicking around an idea in my head. Uh, which was, you know, bring the game to American kids, but I didn't quite know how to go about it. For the longest time, I'd been advocating on DreamCricket.com, writing columns about, you know, we need to take cricket into the schools, and we need to have a, a, a program. Now, there have been people all over the country who've tried to do that before and have had, you know, varying degrees of success in their local neighborhoods 
taking cricket into the schools. But the problem always was that they were singular, disjointed uh, affairs. You'd have Malcolm Nash in California. You'd have you know, Edward Fox in Kansas. Uh, you might have Dan Burrell in Colorado, mm-hmm. all doing their own thing and working really, really hard and having some success, but completely unsupported nationally, no networking, no sharing of resources, just you know, one guy on a mission by himself. And what it began to occur to me was that there needs to be a national organization that can coordinate, that can share resources, that can share best practices, that can develop networks, that can uh, you know, raise money, and can do this in a, in a, as a program, as a national program, and not burn out the really good people who were trying to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. And that idea began, began to germinate in my head. And what I did eventually was uh, I wrote an article, a column on Dream Cricket, you know, advocating that organization in more concrete terms. And uh, Vainu uh, Palaparthi from Dream Cricket wrote me an email, and this was in March of 2010. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, we're willing to give you 10 cricket sets, and you take them into schools and test your theory and see if this really works. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did in the spring of 2010. I started going to schools in Maryland and basically giving them the cricket set, giving them some instruction, and watching the kids have an absolute blast. The kids fell in love with it. The teachers fell in love with it. It was a huge hit wherever we went. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning. I began to uh, publicly talk about that experience and kind of, you know, open up the doors and recruit people. And all of these great people all over the country who had had the same idea, who had had the same idea of taking cricket into the schools and the proper way to bring cricket to American kids, were attracted to you know, this like a magnet. And basically what USYCA became was a, a rallying flag for all of these great volunteers you know, and great people all over the country who wanted to do this but hadn't yet had a, an umbrella organization. We have 48 member organizations um, who are dues-paying organizations that you know, see what we're doing is worthwhile and are willing to give up themselves and, and get involved in doing it. And over the past year, We've given over 700 cricket sets to schools all over the country. And there are now hundreds of thousands of kids playing cricket in their PE classes because of USYCA and all of the volunteers we have all over the country. Um, I went to graduate school at Penn State University. um, And I was the president of the club for a year and a half. And then I've been associated with the club for a while. Um, And during that time, we actually went out to... uh, elementary schools, middle schools, and even church groups around uh, the university campus, you know, within 30 miles, 40 miles. And we would go, you know, take uh, rubber balls, uh, tennis balls, your uh, temporary stumps, and then we'll have a cricket game in the basketball gym if it's too cold outside or outside in the yard. Um, And, you know, kids will uh, take interest in it because it's new to them and it's... uh, for lack of a better word, sort of something weird. So they'll give it a shot and they'll try and they'll have fun. But, you know, we didn't have a proper uh, follow-up uh, visits and stuff because, you know, it depends on who's running the club, so on and so forth. You know, now uh, with an organization like USYCA, so, you know, even university clubs could connect to you and you could connect to them and then, you know, they could carry your message forward uh, in uh, spreading cricket to the schools in, you know, different parts of the country. Correct. And uh, that's part of the, the, the concept of USYCA is that we're a support group for anyone anywhere in the United States that wants to get kids playing cricket. And the key is 
is to leave a cricket set behind after you teach the game. Because mm -hmm. if you take away the equipment, schools' budgets being what they are, they're not going to go out and buy cricket equipment. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to give them a cricket set. And that's, that's part of our, our vision right from the beginning. But also one thing people need to understand is that putting a cricket set in, in schools and having teachers who aren't trained coaches give a very rudimentary version of the game to their kids who might play, you know, a few times, you know, in the course of a year isn't the end of the vision. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's one. Really, the, the real where the rubber hits the road is when you create a community youth cricket league for those kids to play cricket outside of school and get proper coaching and proper training and technique and to really develop a love for the complete game and to learn how to play cricket, you know, outside and, and to really develop that and to make them cricketers. But the problem is, is that you can't create one of those community youth cricket leagues unless you first seeded the area with schools cricket. Because if I go tomorrow to an area where they've never heard cricket, never seen it played, never have no experience with it, and say, hey, we're playing, uh, I'm going to have a community youth cricket league. Everybody come on down and sign up. Mm -hmm. Nobody's come, except kids who already know how to play cricket, if there are any in that area. So if we want to bring cricket to a new audience, we want to bring cricket to the 95% of American kids who don't know what it is. You have to seed the area first with schools cricket, just to whet their appetite and give them a little introduction to the game and let them see how much fun it is. And then you follow that up the next summer with a community youth cricket league. And that's the process we've begun right now. We've already got um, community youth cricket leagues on board to come in the summer of 2012. And we expect that by next summer there's going to be at least 20 of these community youth cricket leagues with uh, you know, volunteer coaches playing outside and actually getting the process started. We're drawing kids from the schools to begin learning to play cricket in a more formal way. Um, talking about, uh, you know, introducing something without actually seeding for it. Um, you know, you had the experiment by Don Lockerbie where, uh, you know, the International Standard Stadium was built in Florida and you had Sri Lanka and New Zealand play a couple of T20 matches. But then that was the end of that, you know. What do you think of that effort put in? Well, the there are basically two approaches to developing cricket in America. And I, I've seen them both, and I think that either one pursued exclusively is probably not the way to go. And the two approaches are um, uh, pr um, push cricket to the existing cricket fans, to the expats who live in the United States, and really just target them and try to develop them, you know, in, in that market. And the other approach is, you know, um, just take it exclusively to the other 95% of Americans and work that angle. The truth is there has to be a mix. Now, the Pearls Cup in Florida was a wonderful experience for American cricket fans who, you know, have been waiting forever to see international cricket. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, there were problems. Um, the game, not, not having seeded the area first with, with non-cricket fans and introduced the game properly to the public, the attendance was almost exclusively from people who had come from other countries and, you know, and, and were in America, you know, as, as either expats or people who were residents here, but, you know, from elsewhere. So it, the game, to be honest, the Pearls Cup didn't grow cricket. The Pearls Cup didn't take the cricket to any new market. The Pearls Cup didn't grow the game in Florida. It, it was entertaining for people who already love cricket. Mm -hmm. um, and we also know that the, the wicket turned out to be not that great. Yeah. Um, one thing I would always tell anybody 
But if you're going to play the game for an American audience, you better have a lively wicket. You know, Americans, you know, like me, and I'm, I'm maybe a worst-case scenario, <laughs> I want to see boundaries and wickets. You know, I, I, I can watch a test match. I understand what's going on, you know, and I can get into some of the thrilling moments of a, of a tightly contested test match. But if you put me in a 2020 match, I want to see Watson and Warner, and I want to see Sawag, and I want to see balls going over the rope. You know, and I want that excitement. Bring up an interesting point. So you're saying T20 would be the best format to be introduced in the U.S. Because you recently you have New Zealand cricket, uh, they're, you know, uh, joining hands with the USA Cricket Association, trying to come up with a T20 league in the U.S. So you think that's the right way to go about it? Well, T20 is definitely the game that America has to start on. Because it's a game that most closely mirrors the sport experiences they're used to and they're comfortable with. You know, the timing is correct, um, you know, and the, and the game is short and it's lively. Uh, Americans, it's, it's like a, you wouldn't give a baby a filet mignon, you know, and expect the baby to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to bring people up in cricket, and I'm the same way. You know, I first fell in love with the short version. The first tournament I ever saw was the IPL in, mm-hmm. in 2008. And that was my introduction to the game, and it was all, you know, fireworks, explosions, and, and <laughs> big hits. You know, so I saw that, and I really got into it. If, if my first experience with cricket, you know, had been the timeless test match, I would have thought, you know, you can hang me before I watch this again. So Americans are going to have to be brought up on a, you know, on a version of the game that is high-scoring, high-excitement, and very much mirrors their experience as sports fans. And they're going to have to have a reason you know, to tune in. And 180 to 175 score is the reason they're going to want to tune in to a, to a T20 match. So definitely T20 is the way to go. But I'm also strongly convinced that if we don't pair the T20 league, the new T20 league, with a lot of marketing to the 95% American audience mm-hmm. and a lot of education efforts and a lot of outreach and seeding, as I said, if we don't like get these teams involved with, with going into the communities and educating the schools and being really involved with outreach, you know, we're going to limit the market for this new league, you know, to the very thin number of Americans who are experienced with cricket, and that's when I think going to throttle the league right out of the gate from a finance standpoint, from a marketing standpoint. Uh, I've always wondered, you know, what would happen? What would have happened if T20 was the format of the game that was first introduced to? A global audience, and then it progressed towards you know a longer version. So I guess you know we'll find out how it's going to turn out in the U.S. You know, maybe in our lifetimes. <laughs> and I've been I've grown to enjoy all three formats of the game, um, but I think it is a maturity thing. Uh, a fan who is an immature cricket fan, and by that I mean a new fan who is just learning how the game is played, learning the nuances, learning the strategies. If you can't understand why the captain is doing what the captain is doing with his field placements, if you can't understand why the batter is making a certain shot selection, test cricket is going to bore you to tears. There's so much of test cricket that is cerebral. So much of it is strategy. So much of it, you know, is, happens incrementally, almost unseen to the naked eye, where you have to really understand the game to see what's happening below the surface. That's there's so much of test cricket that is psychological. Um, and if you're not an experienced cricket fan and you haven't watched a lot of cricket and you don't understand that, you don't see any of that. You don't pick up on that. All you see are dot balls. 
all you see is a lot of nothing happening, and you and you lose interest. That's why we have to remember. I told you about the laboratory with my kids at Givens. Mm-hmm. I saw them go from immature novice cricket fans to more experienced cricket fans who could understand the nuances and take in the game at a more uh, more mature level. And we have to approach the American market, that 95% market, the same way. We have to give them, you know, the baby food up front. We have to give them something that they'll be able to enjoy and appreciate and have fun with. And then gradually, as they mature as fans, we can introduce other formats of the game as they learn and as they're educated as to what's going on, and they begin to appreciate why Emma Stoney is putting, you know, four slips in for this particular batter or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But until they've reached that level of understanding, you're just basically killing yourself by trying to force feed them that. I read your recent article um, on uh, Dream Cricket where you said impatience is what stopping the growth of cricket in the U.S. Who do you expect the patience from, the administrators or the people that want to see cricket grow in the U.S.? And how long uh, are you expecting them to be patient? Yeah, what, what I meant by that was that that was, I was worried that at the time that our under-19s were being annihilated by the West Indies. Mm-hmm. And what I was saying was in that, you know, don't beat up on the team. We really shouldn't be surprised because what we've done is we have a test-playing nation's under-19s out there, kids that grew up with the game, have excellent facilities, have, you know, time in the nets that we can only dream of, and have played lots of matches. They're experienced cricketers. You know, and we've taken kids who almost never get to practice together, who have almost no facilities to train in, who have almost no professional coaching. We bring them together in a rush, and you expect something different than what happened. Um, and what I meant by patience is that before we can expect to stand on the same field with a test-playing nation and compete with them at any level, you have to build a strong foundation. You have to grow the game up. And that's part of the reason uh, people say, well, are you trying to bring a lot of Americans into the national team? Uh, by Americans, I'm going to qualify that. By that, I mean people who aren't experienced with cricket. You didn't cut, originally, you know, their families didn't come from cricket-playing nations. Mm-hmm. That's not the objective. Uh, I'll do, uh, here's what I mean by that. In order for, let's say that there's a, uh, a, a young Pakistani or Indian-American out there, his family, you know, grew up with the game, and so he grew up with the game. And he's really, really good. Let's say he's 13 or 14. He's got great potential, awesome potential. This, this kid could be an international star. Mm-hmm. Today, that kid is going to languish in America because there's, we just don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the professional coaching. We don't have the facilities. We don't have the ability to give that kid what he needs to go from being a raw talent to being an international star or, or a player that could, that could make a difference for us on the international stage. So what we do is if we bring hundreds of thousands, millions of American kids into the cricket marketplace, even playing bad cricket, let's assume for a minute that all of these new players are just not international quality. They love the game, they play the game, but they will never compete internationally. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they exist, the fact that they have created a marketplace, will draw entrepreneurs and coaches and facilities to cater to them. Their parents will take them to coaches. Their parents will take them to indoor nets. Their parents will, will buy them cricket equipment. So what will happen is those kids will create the marketplace that will in turn create the infrastructure that will allow our 13-year-old budding star 
to have a coach in the neighborhood he can go to and have indoor facilities he can choose from and have a competitive junior league he can play on to get regular experience. The masses are what are going to create the cricket market that will in turn create the infrastructure that will allow us to take our raw talent and properly train it to compete with the West Indies on the, on the, on the pitch. And until we have those huge masses of people to create the market, to create the infrastructure, it's unrealistic to expect any of our teams to hold their own internationally. Every now and then we may have a good tournament, you know, and things may go better than expected. Mm-hmm. But to sustain any kind of an international effort is, is, is ridiculous without us having the facilities and the infrastructure to create great players from the raw talent that we have. And one thing I love about America is that we have a lot of athletic talent in this country. I mean, our, our, our kids grow, with, grow up with a lot of uh, physical ability. Mm-hmm. And if we can just marshal that through proper facilities and training and coaching and infrastructure, we can quickly become a power in international cricket. But the first thing's first, and here's what I mean by the patience. You can't, you can't go from the top down. You can't put the cart in front of the horse. You can't say, we're going to take our raw talents and with no infrastructure or facilities, we're just going to throw them out there with the West Indies and then complain that they get beat. You have to start from the start, which is create the mass market. And that's what USYCA is doing. We're working at the foundation level. Our USYCA volunteers are in the muck, up to our knees in mud, building the foundation upon which USA cricket will eventually rest. It's not sexy work. It's not fun work. It's not glory work. Nobody is, you know, writing articles on, you know, Crick Info about what we're doing. You know, actually Peter wrote one. But there's not much attention being paid to us. This is the grunt work. This is the selfless, sacrificial work that has to be done to create the foundation upon which USA Cricket's future will rest. And that's one of the, that is only one of the good things about what we're doing. We only attract people to USYCA who are top quality. We don't promise anybody any profit. We don't promise anybody free trips overseas. We don't promise anybody any goodies. It's all hard work and sacrifice for the betterment of the game and the betterment of USA Cricket. And the result of that has been the people that have been attracted to USYCA have all been top-quality people, selfless people who have only the best interests of, of American cricket in mind and have no, nothing personal they're, they're looking to get out of it. But this is the grunt work that's got to be done, and the people – out in the leagues and the clubs and the national level are going to have to be patient because until this infrastructure is created, even the greatest raw talent that we develop aren't, aren't going to be able to compete at the international level. We have to do the foundation work first. See, you, you talk about uh, infrastructure, uh, coaching, nets, you know, uh, and USA cricket, which brings me to the point, uh, USACA, United States Cricket Association, you know, they've had so many problems, uh, you know, politics in their boardrooms. Uh, you know, they came under fire from ICC, uh, very disjointed uh, board. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that organization? You know, because they are, for better or worse, the face of cricket to the international uh, community, you know, United States Cricket Association. So are the people in charge actually, you know, for the growth of uh, cricket in the U.S., or they're being counterproductive? I don't know enough about their situation. I'm not on the inside at USACA. I read what everyone else reads, and, you know, and I have no idea, you know, what goes on inside their board of directors' meetings any more than they know what goes on inside, goes on inside mine. Um, so I'm not going to publicly comment 
on internal USAPA governance issues. Okay. Um, I, I will say this, that USYCA is committed to working with USACA. USACA is the national body of U.S. cricket. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what's going on there at any given time, and regardless of who is, constitutes the leadership of USACA at any given time, USYCA, being the national youth organization, will always work hand-in-hand -hand with those individuals and with USACA for the betterment of American cricket. Now, obviously, it's in our best interest to have a highly effective, highly functional national organization that we can partner with to quickly advance cricket. And so, you know, we cheer every step of progress, you know, and, and we you cringe with every setback. Um, but I can't know what's going on behind closed doors, and I can't know who's who and who really, you know, and for me to speculate from a distance as to who, you know, intends what and who is trying to accomplish what, it would just be bad speculation. So what has so, been your... What has been your experience as the president of USYCA um, interacting with USACA, and have they been productive, you know? Have they been supportive of everything that you're trying to do, you know? Um, how has that experience been? Well, I've, I've had personal conversations and frequent email correspondence um, with many of the board of directors of USACA over the over this, you know, last couple of years. They're, you know, very supportive. They like what we're doing. They appreciate it. They want to see us succeed. Um, at various times, they've floated different ideas about ways USACA might tangibly give support to USYCA, but for, for reasons unknown to me, you know, those ideas have never, you know, produced a anything. And I don't, again, I don't want to speculate on, you know, why there was no follow-through on a particular idea, uh, you know, why, you know, you know, something hasn't happened. Uh, to this point, USYCA, and this is speaking today, you know, Wednesday the 27th of October, uh, to this point, USYCA has, has not contributed to, to I mean, to, to this point, USACA has not contributed anything to USYCA. Now, that could change. Um, you know, I could, I could get a call in, in a couple of days from somebody saying, okay, we, we're, we've made a decision, we're ready to do this or that or that other thing. You also, there is another side of it where, you know, uh, cricket becomes visible, you know, not just on Saturdays and Sundays. If you happen to live in a cosmopolitan city, uh, you know, you see it in parks. But, you know, you have ESPN investing heavily in cricket. Um, you have uh, ESPN3.com carrying, um, uh, you know, international matches. I mean, not... Uh, the best of competitions, but there is still an avenue. Uh, now you have Willow TV and you have other streams from other countries, so on and so forth. So that should be helping your effort too, doesn't it? Um, and so as a cricket, for a cricket fan, that's awesome to be sitting here in the United States and you know watching stuff from South Africa, from Australia, from India, whatever. Um, but it doesn't grow the game. It's not taking cricket to any new audiences. Everything ESPN is doing and everything Willow is doing and all the other networks, they're doing it to cater to the existing cricket market, mainly among the South Asian expats living in the United States. You can tell that from the commercials they run. <laughs> I mean, certainly the, you know, the, uh, the, the Gujarati matrimony commercials are not targeting <laughs> me. Um, and I understand that. You go where the money is. And in the United States for, for cricket, the, the market is, you know, expats mainly from, from the uh, Asian subcontinent. So I get that, but it doesn't. That's not helping grow the game. There are no new fans being added to cricket because ESPN 
three is running, you know, the uh, India uh, Sri Lanka test match. There's no new fans being added to cricket because the cricket packs are packs available on Dish Network. Uh, we have to go outside the box. We have to go outside the market. And there's a lot of people think that um, if Americans, you know, like me before I became into cricket, you know, ordinary, you know, 95% Americans will just sit down and watch cricket on TV. That will get them loving cricket. And I want to disabuse anybody of that notion. What brought me in love with cricket was playing cricket. Mm-hmm. What brings, I think, I think the love happens when you hit the ball and you're running between the wickets and half your team is yelling go and the other half yelling stop. <laughs> um, it's that pandemonium. You know, it's when you're making the decision in the back of your head to go for another run, you know, and you're not quite sure you're going to make it. Uh, it's when you hit the six, you know, when you, you know, when you weren't expecting to. It's playing the game that brings the love. Uh, and I wish there were more adult men's underhand toss softball leagues out there where, where, where guys like me could play cricket in a, in a safe, you know, non-critical way just to learn how to play the game. But I realize it's not possible. People have jobs. People have other activities. And, frankly, once you get to a certain age, you kind of settle on your sports, and it's really hard to branch out. That's why if we want to really grow the American cricket market, the only logical place to start that is with young kids, elementary school and middle school. They are the low-hanging fruit. And I'll give you an example of myself. I didn't know anything about soccer six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Didn't really enjoy the game, didn't follow the game, knew nothing about it. My daughter, Sarah, wanted to play soccer. But some of her friends at school played soccer. So, of course, being your mom and dad, we signed her up. We paid the 150 bucks, and we got her in soccer. And then we pulled up our lawn chairs and, you know, on the sidelines and watched her play. My wife and I had no idea what was going on. I mean, we were able, every time a whistle blew, we had to ask somebody why they stopped the match. And we learned soccer watching her play. We cheered for her, and we learned to understand the game. And then once we learned to understand it, we learned to appreciate the game. And then Sarah would take us to, you know, Sports Authority or Dick's Sporting Goods, and we'd have to buy her soccer equipment. So we, would, we were part of the, the growing soccer market because of our daughter. Mm. And when Sarah developed favorite soccer players, when she began rooting for people on the women's national team, all of a sudden I know who Mia Hamm is. All of a sudden I know who Hope Solo is. Mm. Not because I cared before, but because my daughter cares. And that's the way we're going to reach American adults, through their children. The reason why there's no cricket equipment in the sporting goods chains across the United States is because there's nobody going in those stores or not enough people asking for cricket equipment. Hmm. Um, one thing I do, it's kind of silly. Every time I go into a sporting goods store, I don't care where I'm at or how many times I've been there, <laughs> I ask the manager where their cricket section is. <laughs> I know the answer. There is no cricket section. But I make him tell me that, and then I ask him if he anticipates having a cricket section soon. And, of course, he tells me he doesn't think so. I can buy it online, blah, blah, blah. It seems like a silly thing, but I'm thinking in my own little way, it's another drop in the bucket. If I create enough of a fuss at the ground level, maybe just maybe the next time the buyer comes in from the chain, he says, hey, you know what? Guy came in here asking for cricket equipment the other day. If enough people in America, cricket fans, did that on a regular basis, there would be some pressure from the ground level to get cricket stuff on the shelves of your local sports store. But if we bring hundreds of thousands of American kids into the game, when their parents start looking for cricket equipment, the first place they're going to go are the local chain sporting goods stores. Mm-hmm. And they're going to start asking the managers, where's the cricket stuff? 
As soon as there's a youth cricket league that starts in a neighborhood, there's going to be immediate pressure on those chains to get cricket equipment in the stores. And as soon as the kids and their parents start learning about cricket and start wanting to watch it on TV, there's going to be immediate pressure on the networks to put cricket on television. Everything that every American cricket fan wants, the, the stuff in the stores, the cricket on the television, you know, cricket posters for their kids to put on the wall, all the stuff we don't have here they have everywhere else, will happen if we create the cricket market through the children. Absolutely. But we have to do that through the children. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Jamie, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I wish you the very best. And, uh, you know, uh, if I can be of any help, please do let me know, and I'll be more than happy to contribute any which way I can. Tremendous. Thanks very much for having me, Dubai. My pleasure. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Couch Talk.